0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, let's dive in. We are in Matthew chapter 10 today. Uh, we're going to be looking at three verses, two through four. And um, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back next to the AV booth. We've got my notes in the foyer as well, if you would like a copy of those. As you turn to Matthew 10, let me review from the last time that we met. So, our gospel writer here, uh, Matthew, he summarized Jesus' ministry up until this point. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, if you just want to back up a few verses there, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and the villages, and he taught in their synagogues, he preached the good news of the kingdom, and he healed every disease and every sickness. So, it's a summary verse, as, as Jesus went around Galilee, Um, over 200 towns and cities in Galilee, uh, Jesus saw. He saw the the struggle, the pain of everyday life as he ministered to countless people. Keep in mind 200 towns and cities. I think we we learned it was at least 2 million, maybe 3 million people in Galilee there. Uh, Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. Because they were distressed. God's people were distressed. They were dejected. They were like sheep without a shepherd. See, God's people were not being cared for by the the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the pastors, they were the priests, they were the ministers of Jesus' day, and they were not doing their job. Verses 37 and 38 from last week the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So as you study scripture there, you'll notice that Matthew penned that word harvest three times. And we learned that harvest is God's judgment on sin. Judgment is a very, very big deal, right? There's a, there's a day of judgment for, uh, for each one of us. We will all have our day in court, so to to speak, on how we have lived our lives, uh, because we didn't create ourselves, uh, and we are accountable to the one who did. So basically, when we die, the Lord Jesus is going to ask us something like this. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, there's really, when you boil it down, there's only two answers. Number one, you can say something to the effect of, well, because I'm a good person. Or number two, because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The first answer will send that person to a very real place called hell for eternity. The second answer opens the gates of heaven to where that person will dwell with the Lord Jesus forever. So even though the harvest is about judgment on sin, we also learn that Jesus is commissioning the 12 disciples into ministry at this point. Um, Jesus' ministry probably about 18 months old uh, and Jesus is the one doing all the work the disciples they've been watching they've been learning from Jesus and that's what a disciple does right he is a pupil we've learned that a, a disciple is a student but Jesus changes the course of the direction of the ministry basically he said look I need you to start praying specifically for workers. So can't you just see the disciples gathering around? No, no sweat, Jesus, no sweat. We, we'll pray for workers, right? Peter says, gather around boys, we're going to pray. And he starts to pray and he prays for workers. He prays for workers and he says, amen and amen. And Jesus says, guess what, boys? Your prayer has been answered. <laughs> well, how can't you see Andrew going Wait, that fast? I mean, he just, he answered that prayer that fast. And Jesus says, oh yeah, yeah. And John says, well, who are they? And and where are they? And Jesus responds and he says, look around. It's you. It's you. You're the workers. God has chosen ordinary people to do extraordinary things. For example, he took Abram a pagan who worshiped the moon, and he made him into Abraham, the father of the nation. He took Moses, a man with a speech impediment and a terrible temper, and he made him the first prophet and lawgiver. He took Hadassah, a poor Jewish peasant girl, and he made her Queen Esther of Persia. And by the way, saving the entire nation of Israel. So yeah, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And believe it or not, he's chosen ordinary people just like you and me to do the same. A perfect God using imperfect people has always been God's ways. I mean, think about it. God has always used dysfunctional people as the means and the mode to accomplish his will. God has never had anything else to work with after Genesis 3 in the fall, but sinful people pretty amazing, isn't it? Soon after God delivered Noah and his family through the flood, what would Noah do? He got drunk. He got wasted. Can you blame him after everything he's just been through? I think I'd want to drink too. Jacob, one of the forefathers of the faith, he stole his brother's inheritance. Aaron, the first high priest This guy builds a golden calf for the the nation to worship while Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the law at the same time. (laughs) Joshua, he disobeyed the Lord. He made a treaty treaty with the Gibeonites instead of destroying them. Gideon, this man had no self-confidence and even less faith in God's plan and his power. Samson, oh my gosh, this guy. You talk about somebody who needed the 12 steps? It was Samson, man. This this guy was so codependent and and, and addicted to sexual sin. It was unbelievable. David, he committed adultery. He had somebody murdered. He he was a failure as a father, and yet the best king Israel ever had. Elijah. (laughs) I love Elijah. This guy faces 850 false prophets. He calls down fire from heaven, and then he cowers at one woman. <laughs> wow. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, he was brash. He used his tongue like a weapon, like a machine gun. Uh, and Jonah, remember Jonah? Jonah defied God's plan to preach to the Ninevites. And then he was, I love this. He was angry when his one sentence sermon saved the entire nation. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, I could go on and on and on, guys. God uses ordinary and dysfunctional people to usher in the kingdom of God. And aren't you glad? Because there is no plan B. Now, the 12 disciples who become the 12 apostles, they were no exception. And today we get to meet these men. Uh, Today, Jesus turns disciples into apostles. So what's the difference? Why do you care? How does this impact your life today? Big time. Let's find out together. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. just as we sang those songs as a church with one voice let's do the same as we read scripture Matthew chapter 2 starting in, in I'm sorry Matthew chapter 10 starting in verse 2 These are the names of the 12 apostles First Simon who is called Peter and Andrew his brother James the son of Zebedee and John his brother Philip and Bartholomew Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed Him. Guys, these are the very words from Scripture. Uh, We get to handle the holy today. We we get to learn God's Word verse by verse so we can share Jesus day by day. These, These words are authoritative in our lives uh, they are without error. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I pray that we hear them as such. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes that you are good. You're good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. So, Father, we do pray that we have a heart that is receptive to hearing your statutes and your rules and your laws this morning and how that applies to us. But before we, we, we dive into to learning about your word, I, I think it's appropriate that we just take a, just a moment corporately as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, as guests, as returning visitors today, that it's important for us to realize that we can't receive what you have for us If there's a barrier between us and you, Lord God. So if we would, uh, dear church family, let's just take a moment to silently confess our sins because we do not want anything blocking what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our anger. We pray that you would forgive us for our bad attitudes. You would forgive us for our jealousy, for our lust. Forgive us for our fear of not being able to control certain situations or people. And teach us, Lord God. Teach us how to put just a little bit more trust in our lives today than yesterday. And teach us your statutes this morning, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right. Let's take a look here. Let's start at verse 1 to get a, a running start at our passage, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. These are the names. So before we get to the names here, I want to show you this list, and I want you to see how this list is divided into three subgroups of four people. So if you look at your Bible, you'll see that here. The first group includes Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The second group includes Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. And the third includes James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Now, you're going to notice four things. The first thing is that with the other Gospels here, you're going to see that... um, They always include the same four names. Number two, the first name in each group is always the same. And that means something. That means that the the first name within each group, that subgroup, has its own identity. They have their own leader. Think of it like a small group that we have here at church. Number three, you'll notice that we know most about the first group, less about the second, And nearly nothing at all about the third. And then lastly, observe here how these men are always, they're in pairs with one another. So in other other words, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. They don't get to do what they want. They are inside a community, and within that side that community, they're in a small group. And within that small group, they're paired up. So back to verse 2. These are the names of the 12 apostles. So, as we learned in our last study, Jesus fires the scribes and the Pharisees. The 12 tribes of Israel did not shepherd God's people, and God's patience ran out. As a side note here, did you know that God's patience runs out? It's not a perpetual patience. God basically put the second stringers in, the B team, all right? And the B team are the 12 apostles, Now, we've learned that Jesus has chosen these men. He has called these men for this purpose. Once again, about 18 months into into the ministry now, and now Jesus is starting to replicate himself. A disciple is a learner, a pupil, a student, but an apostle, much, much different here. Let me give you a definition. An apostle is both a disciple and a messenger. And this messenger is someone who is sent with the authority of the sender. So these men have the authority from Jesus himself. The the 12 apostles, if you remember, they were handpicked by Jesus, and now they they are called to preach and heal with God's authority. Now today, obviously, we can't heal the blind and we don't raise the dead, do we? And the reason, the reason for that is because we weren't commanded to do so. That power, that apostolic power was given to the apostles in the first century. So let's meet these men. Verse 2. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, we have Simon, who is called Peter. Every family, every group, every organization, business, church, has a leader. And it's evident here that Peter was the prominent leader from the very beginning. He is always mentioned in every list of the apostles. Uh, And because Pete is the chief apostle, we could call him the chief apostle. Remember when Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners? It's the same word there in in 1 Timothy 1. Um, He's the chief apostle. Because he is the chief apostle, Jesus spends more time with Peter than anyone else. It's like Peter is attached to Jesus' hip. Peter continually asks Jesus questions. He's giving advice, even when it's not asked for. And he even gives commands. We know how that works out. (laughs) Apart from Jesus, this is fascinating. Apart from Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. Apart from Jesus, no other name is mentioned more often than Peter's, the chief apostle. So back to verse two. First Simon, who's called Peter. And now we have Andrew, his brother, Andrew's name. I love this means manly, manly. Um, even before Andrew met Jesus, Andrew was a disciple. Andrew and John, James and John, um, they were first disciples of John the baptizer. And Andrew is actually the one who introduced Peter to Jesus. Think about, the thing about Andrew is that he's always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew is the disciple who brought that little boy with that sack lunch to feed the 5,000. I mean, who knows what was going through Andrew's mind? You know, maybe Andrew watched Jesus turn water into wine, and, and maybe he just thought that Jesus could do the same with some fish and chips. And he did it, didn't he? Amazing. Back to verse 2. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So the first group includes two sets of brothers. We got Peter and Andrew, and now we've got James and John. All of these men were fishermen, so they knew each other well. James and John in the scriptures, they are inseparable. James is always mentioned first, and that may be because he, he might have been older He could have been more vocal, more outspoken than John. Um, James actually was so outspoken that King Herod um, singled him out for him to to be the the first apostolic martyr. Um, And then we've got John, his brother, in verse 2. Now, John is one of the most prominent disciples in the New Testament. We know John because he wrote the gospel of John. He also wrote the epistles of John, John 1, 2, and 3 and also the book of Revelation. Uh, Tradition tells us that John did not leave the city of Jerusalem until Jesus' mother, Mary, until she died. Now, why would he do that? Because the Lord entrusted John into his care, right, at the crucifixion. So when you put James and John together, these two brothers, you do get some trouble. Um, Jesus gave them a nickname, The Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Now, I think that's a pretty cool nickname, but it is not a compliment. Uh, Calling down fire from heaven to destroy an entire population of people kind of reveals their attitude and a little bit of their personality. So James and John, they were just a little bit ambitious. Uh, And they even got their mommy in on their ambition. Remember the story? She goes to Jesus, she kneels before him, and she says, Jesus, will you do me a favor? Will will you please grant James and and Johnny here, you know, seats number two and three next to you and you rule your kingdom? Wow. Needless to say, that conversation didn't go over well with Jesus nor the disciples. They didn't make any friends that day. But here's what I want you to hear from, from the first group is that regardless of their imperfections, God used these men to carry out God's plan. Just like Jesus said, they were fishermen and they trained, they were trained, they were anointed to be fishers of men. Verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Uh, Philip is the chief apostle of the second group. Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel in John's gospel. Now, in every listing of the 12, uh, Philip and Bart here, they're always together. They were probably close friends before they met Jesus. Um, Philip was a student of God's word. And we we know this because Philip went to, to Bartholomew and he says, Bart, guess what, man? You're not going to believe this. We found him of of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's the son of Joseph. So Phil knows God's word. He knows it. Once again, during the episode of the feeding of the 5,000, it was Philip whom Jesus asked, hey, Phil, where, where are we going to buy all this bread to feed all these people? And Philip probably took that question literally. He started to do the math in his head, you know. And uh, so, so evidently, Philip, he was a very organized man. He was, uh, I think, full of common sense. But there is a drawback to that. Uh, when, we're, when we're organized and full of common sense, and we like to have things planned out, that tends to hinder our walk with Jesus. Uh, we see this, and, and Philip struggled with that. We see it in the Last Supper. He asked the Lord this John chapter 14, he said, uh, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that's enough. And um, it must have grieved Jesus dearly to hear a question like that. And we kind of sense the hurt um, of Jesus in his reply because he says, Philip, man, have, have I been along, uh, have I been with you? All this time, for three years, and you still don't know who I am. Wow. After three years of following Jesus around, listening to him teach, hearing Jesus preach, and watching Jesus perform countless miracles, Philip still doesn't get it. And yet the Lord used this man who's got limited vision and limited trust in him. So Philip was slow to understand. He was slow to trust. Now I'm encouraged by that because that means there's hope for me. And that may be hope for you too. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Verse three continues, uh, Bartholomew, once known also known as Nathanael. So Here's, here's the thing with the two names, the Synoptic Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're similar Gospels. They refer to this man as Bartholomew. John always refers to him as Nathaniel. Um, Bar- very different person from Philip, very, has a different personality. Uh, when, when his friend Philip told Bartholomew that he had met the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth, Bartholomew, I don't know, he seems to kind of have a a dry sense of humor because he responds with a question. He says, oh, really? Really? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I love it. Regardless, because they're friends, Bartholomew went with with, uh, Philip. He meets Jesus. And when Jesus sees Bartholomew for the first time, Jesus says this. He says, now this, this man right here, He is a true Israelite. There is no deceit in him. So in other words, Bart was a Jew's Jew. He's the real deal. Bartholomew is the, he's a genuine person. He is not two-faced. He's going to be honest with you. Maybe too honest. Because I I think that maybe he's not really the guy you want to show your newborn baby to. (laughs) Because he may look at the child and go... Is that a possum? (laughs) Not a good thing to do with Bartholomew. But how how does this man respond to Jesus? He says, Wait a second, how do you know me? This is the first time we met. And Jesus said, Well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In other words, Jesus is letting him know I was watching you as you studied the Word of God under the fig tree this morning. Bartholomew replies, he says, Rabbi, there was nobody around. How did you see me? You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And that's all we know about Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. The New Testament says nothing of his ministry or his death. Tradition doesn't offer uh, much information either. Verse 3, we've got Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. So Thomas, this man is famous for his doubt, right? Doubting Thomas. Uh, Thomas turned out to be the poster boy for all the skeptics of the, of the Christian faith. Uh, tradition holds that Thomas preached as far as India. The Mar Tomah Church in India still bears his name today. And that's amazing. That's so cool. Back to verse 3, we got Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew is one of the, obviously, he's one of the best known apostles here because of his gospel that we're studying. Uh, we don't really know much more about him other than that. I mean, his claim to fame, obviously, was pre-Jesus. It was, it was his occupation. Matt was a traitor to his own people. He was a tax collector. He, he extorted his own people. And then we've got James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus in verse 3. James is also known as James the Less in uh, Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 15. Um, I don't know about you, that that title's not very flattering, is it? James the Less. Um, It probably means that he was short. So don't make fun of short people. (laughs) James the Less may have been bald. (laughs) You don't want to make fun of bald people either. (laughs) Uh, It also could be that he was younger. Uh, We don't know for sure. Now, it is possible that James um, could have been the first cousin of Jesus. But regardless, we don't have any uh, record of anything that James said or did. Next, we have Thaddeus. John's Gospel records only one verse by Thaddeus. Uh, Thaddeus is also, he's also known as Judas. Now, this is not Judas Iscariot. Judas is a, a popular name in the first century. Uh, Thaddeus is the disciple who posed a question the night before Jesus' arrest. He said this, or he asked this. He said, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? That's all we know about Thaddeus. Verse 4, we've got two more men here, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So, Simon's affiliation as a zealot, it may point us to his prior membership in a radical organization known as the Zealots. Uh, Before Jesus, think about this now, Simon was a radical Jewish revolutionary. So in other words, Simon was involved in a group trying to overthrow the Roman government. The the Zealots were people who were, they were determined their purpose was to take Rome by force and by blood. The the Zealots were one of four dominant religions or religious parties uh, in Judah. So we're all familiar with the Pharisees, one, Sadducees, number two, but we also have the other two. The Zealots and the Essenes. Now, we don't know much about the Essenes because they were more like monks living in a monastery. Um, If you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were connected. uh, The Essenes were connected to the Dead Sea Scrolls. But boy, I tell you, Simon the Zealot, he he must have been some kind of character. Uh, Before Jesus, Simon was motivated more by politics than religion, This guy is similar to a guerrilla fighter. Because what zealots did is they snuck up on Roman soldiers, they stabbed them, and then they ran for the hills. Josephus, a famous Jewish historian, he called the the zealots daggermen because they assassinated people. That's the Romans. That's what they did. So I want you to think about this. Think about this group of men that Jesus has called and chosen so far. Before Simon met Jesus, it is highly likely that he would have assassinated Matthew. Why? Because Matthew is a traitor and a tax collector. <laughs> I find that hilarious. Notice here how Jesus didn't place Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector in the same group, though. He didn't do that. But regardless, uh, Jesus brings everybody together, and He brings, just like us today, He has brought the church together. Um, This morning, we've got conservatives, and we've got people who are not so conservative. We've got Republicans. We've got Democrats. We've got independents. We've got people sitting here from various cultures and languages and ethnicities. And guys, that's the way it should be especially in the local church, that there is one thing that brings us together, and that is the commonality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, oh boy, lastly, we've got Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed Jesus. Everybody knows Judas Iscariot. Even the world knows that Judas betrayed Jesus for a little cash Judas is always named last, except for Acts chapter 1. Um, he is always identified as the one who betrayed Jesus. And for the past 2,000 years, the name Judas Iscariot has been a synonym for the treachery and disloyalty. Um, as a side note, you, you, you guys know that I've never baptized anybody named Judas? Probably a good thing. Judas has never Uh, Mentioned after Acts chapter 1, when the apostles replace him. Little little trivia question for you. Uh, In the book Inferno by Dante. Dante's Inferno, if you read that. Judas and Satan, they share the lowest level of hell together. That's the seriousness. It's fiction, keep that in mind. Uh, But that's the seriousness of the sin of Judas Iscariot. Now, here's the thing about Judas. Jesus chose Judas intentionally. He chose him specifically. John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus said, Didn't I choose you guys? Didn't I choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. Now, I find it fascinating here that Judas was this remarkable hypocrite, that he turned out to be the group's treasurer. (laughs) Judas is the money guy. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? Peter stands up and he says, all right, guys, come here, gather around. We need somebody to handle the money. We're going to take a vote. It's an elders meeting. Who's going to handle the money? James and John, the sons of thunder, they stand up and they go, well, it's not going to be Matthew. I know that. I'm not voting for Matthew. But what'd they do? They voted for Judas. Nowhere in scripture do any of the disciples ever suspect that Judas would be a traitor. And yet Jesus gave Judas every opportunity not to fulfill that prophecy. It's doubtful that Judas began the ministry by intending to betray Jesus. But it's almost as if Judas was hoping. He was just hoping that, that Jesus would announce his kingship to overthrow the Roman government after each miracle. Simon the Zealot, he was hoping the same thing. I, it's fascinating that these two men were paired together. Um, so, can't you just picture Judas here? This man has his own agenda. And he he starts to slowly pull away from the disciples day after day. Why? Because Judas was not on mission with Jesus. See, Judas was also ambitious. Sermon in a sermon here. Have you ever noticed that ambition is a dangerous quality for those in the church? Dear friends, we are not to be ambitious. We are called to be faithful and obedient To Jesus who has already given us his mission. Regardless, one day, opportunity came. Judas sold Jesus out for his own greed. Scripture talks about Judas being remorseful about his sin. And this is a a huge key point for us today as we exposit the text. Key point number one. Yes, Judas was remorseful, but he was not repentant. He was not repentant. So please know that remorse is not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. In other words, feeling sad, that, that, saying you're sorry, it doesn't mean that you are. Repentance is turning from your sin and turning to Jesus and his righteousness. So these, these 12 men... Um, have ordinary temperaments, they've got ordinary strengths, they've got ordinary weaknesses, they've got ordinary struggles, just like you and me. Aren't you glad? Hmm. Man, I am. And not only are they ordinary, but they're also diverse. They're like us, the local church. Nothing unites all of them together but one person. And that's the Lord Jesus. Jesus united the 12. He unites us. Now, let me ask you this. Did the 12 apostles, did they do everything perfectly? No, of course not. But were they repentant? Were they teachable? Were they persistent? Yes, they were. Did they finish life well? you ever think about that question? Finishing life well? How are you going to finish life well? Here's how the apostles finish life. Tradition says that both Peter and his wife were crucified. We know that Pete was married. Uh, We don't know anything about his wife though. And yet tradition says that That before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his wife. And as he's standing at the foot of his wife's cross, he just kept repeating Remember the Lord. Honey, remember the Lord. And after she died, Peter begged to be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to die as his Lord had died. Tradition says that Andrew led a governor's wife to Christ. And when she refused to recant her faith, her husband, the governor, had Andrew crucified on an X-shaped cross. And it was said that Andrew, he hung there for days preaching the gospel to those who pass by. According to tradition, when James, this is John's brother, so this is James, the the sons of thunder, um, he had been sentenced to death. He's about to be beheaded because of King Herod. And the Roman soldier who guarded him was so impressed with his courage that he knelt down at James's feet and he begged him for forgiveness because of his treatment, the way that he treated James and with his part of the execution. Tradition says that, the, that James lifted him up, embraced the, the soldier, kissed him, and he said, peace, my son, I forgive you. And after James's forgiveness, the, the Roman soldier publicly confessed Christ and was beheaded alongside James himself. Scripture reports that John, so this is James' brother, the other sons of thunder here, he was exiled, well we know this, that he was exiled to a small island called Patmos. Tradition says, though, that that he was nearly boiled alive before he got there. Tradition tells us that Philip was stripped naked, Hung upside down by his feet, pierced with sharp stakes in his ankles and his thighs, causing him to slowly bleed to death. And while Philip was dying, he asked not to be covered with a linen cloth. Why? Because he felt unworthy to be buried like his Lord Jesus. Thomas. Doubting Thomas said that uh, tradition says that he died from a spear, someone threw a spear, thrust it uh, was thrust through him while he was ministering to people in India. The early church fathers claimed that James, this is the, the son of Alphaeus, this is little Jimmy now. Uh, he preached in Persia. In Persia is modern-day Iran, and he was crucified as a martyr. Tradition says that Thaddeus had a powerful gift of, of teaching. Thaddeus healed the, the king of Syria, led him to Christ. And that healing and that conversion through the nation into such turmoil that the king's nephew had Thaddeus beaten to death by a club. These, these men finished life well. That's what the apostles signed up for. Hebrews chapter eleven is known as the faith chapter, and it lists people who lived by a gospel-centered faith. Hebrews eleven thirty six. Others experienced mocking, and scourging, as well as chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. And they were destitute and afflicted and they were mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. Guys, I want you to know, it costs nothing to become a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus paid it all, right? The gospel is this, that God came from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, was buried for three days, and he had the audacity to walk out of that grave just like he said he was going to. He ascended back into heaven, and now he sits on his throne. Ruling and reigning the cosmos. The gospel is completed by works. Just not ours. It's completed by Jesus. His work. His blood. So for us... To become a disciple, we are to, John three sixteen. we are to believe. Romans 10, 9, we are to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And God has been calling us before we even come to that realization. But here's what I want you to note this morning. To follow Jesus faithfully, to finish life well, It will cost us everything in some form or some fashion. Now, we're not going to die a martyr's death, most likely. But there are countless ways to serve Jesus right here in the Verde Valley by serving others. For me, let me tell you what it looks like for me as the pastor of River Bible Church to finish life well. Two things. Number one, is to love and provide for the redhead. <laughs> I love you, honey. Number two, I am to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That is a quote from Nicholas Ludwig, Count von Zinzendorf. Isn't that a great name? You got to like a guy with a name like that. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Our lives are not about us. They're about Jesus. So this week, here's what I want you to do. I I pray that that you would consider this question. what, What does it look like for you to finish life well? And see, here's the thing. God has gifted all of you. He has given you spiritual gifts. He has brought you here to the Verde Valley. He has given you many, many things for you to do your part as a disciple. What's that one thing? Share Jesus day by day. It's a great question to ask the Lord. How do you want me to finish life well? Well, and here's the answer. Just to get ready because it's probably not what you think. Many times we ask a question like that. We're like, Ah, I already know. I'm kind of good at that. If you come before the Lord humbly... Honestly, and you're teachable, listen, and He may direct you into an area of ministry that you you had no idea. And it will be the biggest joy of your life to do it. If you have questions on that, um, that's what we're here for, guys. I'll be up front, we'll have the uh, uh, prayer through the foyer and to the right, Father in heaven. You are so good to us. You are so good to us. Thank you for these men. Thank you for the the disciples who became the apostles. And thank you that they're not perfect. Because we're not perfect. But we can strive to be just a little bit more different than we were yesterday. We can turn away from our sin and turn towards righteousness. So, Lord, you have taught us your word verse by verse. You have taught us just a little bit about these men. And as we're getting ready to find out next week, it is these men who turn the world upside down. Now, we may not do that here in the Verde Valley, but we can do our part. And, and Lord, I pray that we don't keep this information and the gospel to our, ourselves this week. I pray for the spiritual conversations, and I pray for the God intersections and the divine disruptions to our lives, that we will share Jesus day by day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.